0: Alright, let's take our Bibles this morning and return to the book of Ephesians. We will be finishing up this section today. This morning I want to speak on not grieving the Holy Spirit and what that is referring to. And then, Lord willing, this afternoon I want to finish out with examples of speech That is inappropriate and speech that is appropriate. And you'll notice that in those illustrations, they are all attitudes of heart that are behind the things that we are saying. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, again beginning in verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And you'll notice in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. God in Christ also has forgiven you, Be an imitator of God in this walk in love. It really is a burden of mine to do the best that I can to really impress and engrave upon your hearts that the very first area of our sanctification Must begin with our speech. I do think that when you talk about sanctification, or even if you talk about issues of holiness, people rarely go to their speech. They'll go to things like their attire or where they go, maybe even a particular translation that they love, but they'll go to all these areas of external appearances. And these are not unimportant. I'm not saying that at all. But they will not default and go to the attitude of their heart And what they are saying, which is an expression of their heart. Paul goes here firstly. And he does this because this is God the Father outworking the mystery of His will in our lives. The outworking of this mystery that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1, which is the summing up of all things in Christ to the praise of the glory of His grace in the church through His Son, it begins with our regeneration. We must be born from above. We must be born again. We must have that second birth. But it continues to be outworked in our sanctification or our walk. And this sanctification and walk in which we are being conformed into the image of Christ really begins with the renewal of the spirit of our minds. Or in other places Paul would refer to this as your inner man. Or your heart, the very seed of your affections. I did not say emotions, I said your affections. This is where it has to begin in every area of our life. Because, brethren, we can have a proper appearance that betrays a wicked heart. The Pharisees were masters at this. And folks, it is our default. <clears throat> to put on an appearance and yet in our hearts be harboring malice and anger and wrath and unkindness and justify it in our own minds as being okay. It has to begin with our inner man because that is the source of our issues. And I want us to turn real quickly to Mark chapter 7 and just have us read here and see with our own eyes that our Lord agreed with that assessment. He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and they had been holding to certain traditions and certain commandments of men. And they were upset because the disciples were not walking according to the tradition of the elders, but they were eating their food with impure or unclean, or we might say dirty hands. And Jesus confronts that, but in verse 14 of Mark 7, he calls the crowd to him again, and he begins saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Does everybody see that? He really puts an emphasis here because they were mistaken with this. They thought eating with dirty hands defiled the inner man. They thought that certain foods are what defile the whole body. And Jesus says, look, if you, if you take in food, it goes where? Into your stomach, through your intestines, and out the body. It does not enter into the heart of a person. The heart is the issue. And folks, not only did the religious of that day misunderstand that, but you'll notice in Mark 7 and verse 17 that after he left the crowd and he entered into the house, the disciples questioned him about this. They too had a misunderstanding concerning this. And in verse 18, he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Foods cannot what? They cannot defile you. Why, verse 19? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And then Mark puts this comment, Thus he declared all foods clean. Verse 20. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, perceive evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covening, and wickedness, as well as deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from where? Within. And that is what defiles the man. And folks, if that is true, then really, to keep our hearts is the main thing, isn't it? And the expression of the abundance of our heart is seen in our speech. Our hearts are firstly seen in our minds as we speak to ourselves and in our speech as we speak to other people. That makes this very urgent, does it not? That makes it very high on the priorities. That when we're talking about sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. That it must begin with a heart that is filled with truth that the Word of Christ is dwelling richly in us, so that what will come out of our mouth will be the truth, as we go back to Ephesians, the truth as it is in Jesus. We have been recreated in righteousness and holiness of truth. And truth is to be in our hearts. Where do we see the fruit of the Spirit firstly? We see it in our speech. And our speech, Paul says, is for the building up of one another in sanctification and growth. This is what brings God glory in the church by Christ Jesus. This is the outworking of the mystery of His will in our heart and in our lives. Now we saw, as we considered the verse for today, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, We looked at how this passage breaks down very naturally. We saw in verse 29 the command, No unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, only that which is good for edification. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the aim. To minister grace to those who hear. Does everybody see that? So the the goal of this is my speech is to be conformed to Christ so that when I speak to one another, and here the context is believers, when I speak to one another, I am speaking to one another for this purpose. Your good, what is your good? To serve, to minister, to serve you grace by the words that I am saying. And folks, the sobriety of this and the seriousness of this is because if we violate this, we can grieve who? The Holy Spirit Spirit of God. Unwholesome speech grieves the Holy Spirit. And folks, that is no small thing. And the reason for that is because it's by His Spirit that we have been sealed as God's own possession unto the day of redemption. We are God's. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are His. And the evidence of His ownership of us is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And what would be an example of grieving the Holy Spirit? Verse 31, bitter words, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, all forms of these things in how we communicate one to another. What would be speech that would thrill the Holy Spirit, as it were? It would be words in the boat of kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Now, folks, I think that breaks out very naturally, and I think that the understanding of this is very clear for us. But I want to go in a little bit deeper to this, other than just kind of some metaphysical understanding about grieving the Holy Spirit. There are at least four direct statements in the New Testament regarding the Spirit of God. The first statement was spoken by Stephen to the Sanhedrin. He said to them, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Can we resist the Holy Spirit? The answer to that is yes. The second, perhaps, is here in this passage that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And the first place, I suppose, where this command can be violated is in the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. A man can teach and preach in such a way, though what he may be saying is accurate, and not minister grace and grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a sober thing for those who are in the ministry but it is also applicable to individual members of a local assembly. Not only can we resist the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, a passage that you are familiar with this, we have a positive, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then fourthly, and lastly perhaps, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, the Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, just very briefly, when we're talking about quenching the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about putting out God. Okay? What we're talking about is quenching or extinguishing His active working among us, perhaps firstly seen in our speech. And the reason why I say that is, is because in the Thessalonian passage, it might be referring to the reception of preaching and teaching. And we do know that the two Ephesian passages do deal with our speech. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another. So we have resisting the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And folks, evidently we can do that, right? If the command is for us not to do it, Then the implication is there is a strong possibility we could be doing it. Now, the sobriety of this is that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that word grieve mean? Well, it has various nuances in our Bibles. It could be translated distress. Do not distress the Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to give you kind of a mental understanding of this. It could also be translated to cause pain. To cause pain to the Holy Spirit. And, folks, the Holy Spirit is a person, is he not? You don't cause pain to a force. You cause pain to a person. It could mean to distress. It could mean to pain. In some cases, it's translated to irritate. And folks, we all know what it means to be irritated, right? Okay to irritate the Holy Spirit. And even though it's not a definition, perhaps in our minds we might be thinking along these lines that if it really does mean to irritate the Holy Spirit, then certainly the phrase, don't provoke the Holy Spirit would be applicable, right? Don't irritate thereby provoking the Holy Spirit. And folks, what we do know is this, that useless, non-edifying speech in the church and among its individual members can irritate, provoke, distress, grieve, cause pain to the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, of God, And, folks, it is the Holy Spirit that is He who is present among New Testament congregations. 1 Corinthians says, in speaking to that whole assembly, he says, Don't you know that you, plural, you, all of you, gathered together are the temple of God. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's going to speak about individual members of that body. He says, don't you know that your body, your individual body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And folks, that is sobering, isn't it, to think about. That God has put this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, such as we. And we are gathered together by that same Spirit of God to form local New Testament assemblies in which the Spirit of His presence is there in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is here. Now folks, this phrase, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, might have a connection to a previous passage that we've already looked at. Look at verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now note verse 27. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Does everybody see that? Both of those start out with what? Do not do this. And if there is a connection, since both of them are commanding something that we are not to do, that does deal with our speech, if there is a connection, then perhaps grieving the Holy Spirit provides the slanderer, a platform in a New Testament assembly. And whether there is a direct connection, I do think that as you logically think about it, that that is a possibility, don't you? That if I grieve the Holy Spirit, I'm providing a platform for the slander, the devil, to work within a congregation. If grieving the Holy Spirit provides the slanderer a platform, then the wholesome speech, edifying speech, would provide a platform for the spirit of grace to work in our assembly. And folks, don't you you understand, haven't you been reminded at this point that Paul begins his epistles with grace to you And he gives us all these words of edification. And he concludes the epistle with grace be with you as you walk out that door. In other words, our Bible to a believer is full of words that are to be ministering grace in our hearts as we hear those words. That's an amazing and awesome thing to think about. Folks, really, there is a wonderful supernatural power of God working in a New Testament assembly. Now the question that arises out of really an easily understood meaning is how is this grace this grief, excuse me, how this grief is expressed and known to an assembly. In other words, how would you know if you've grieved the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's easy enough to understand the statement, right? Don't do this. But how would you know if you have done this? And I think there are three possibilities here. First of all, does grieving the Holy Spirit mean that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit in the one speaking? In other words, I'm speaking, right? It all deals with my words. I'm speaking, and I speak out of my mouth unwholesome words, thereby grieving the Holy Spirit where? Where? inside of me is the holy spirit inside a believer yes that's one possibility and that is the popular viewpoint of what it means to grieve the holy spirit here but there's a second possibility and the second possibility is this that by my words, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit in the person who's hearing my words. Does everybody understand that? In other words, <clears throat> I'm going to violate a scripture here for illustration. Okay, everybody understand I'm, going to vi- I'm, violating, I'm, I'm, I'm violating a text. I'm transgressing a text when I do this, but I'm doing this so that we can help understand and I don't believe the Lord will account it to me for sin. <laughs> I, I look at my wife's talking to me and I look at her and say, that's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're a nut to believe that. Now, how many of you would say, man, those were wholesome words? (laughs) Would you say that? All right. So here's, here's the options. When I say those unwholesome words to her, I grieve internally by the Holy Spirit. Or when she hears those words, she's what? She experiences the grief internally of the Holy Spirit. And folks, all of you have known people who have said things to you and inside you just died. Right? You you experienced irritation, frustration, pain, sorrow by the words someone has spoken to you. But there's a third option. And that is... that through my speech, I am grieving directly and only the third person of the Godhead. So those are the only three options that I know that I could be violating this text. So what is it? Well, I think, that you have to ask yourself as i did as i was examining this passage do i have an illustration of this in my bible that's very helpful right if i have an illustration of this in my bible and the clearer more direct illustration i can get the better And the answer to that is is that in the Greek translation of our Hebrew Old Testament this Greek term that is translated in our New Testament as grieve the Holy Spirit is used in Isaiah chapter 63. And I want us to go there. We read this for our scripture reading but I just want to have you see this again In the passage, Isaiah the prophet is making known the loving kindness, the hassed of the Lord, his steadfast love, his mercies, as the King James translation would translate it, the mercies of the Lord to the house of Israel, and you'll see that in verse 7. And in response to those mercies, if you look at verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. So was was he afflicted when they were afflicted? The answer was yes. Note verse 9, and the angel of his presence saved them. The angel of his presence saved them. Their response to that in verse 10 is that they rebelled and grieved, there's our word, grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. And in verse 11, he specifically states that the angel of his presence is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit where? In the midst of them. Was God's presence there? His presence was there. And folks, this is exactly what God promised to Moses when Moses goes up on the mount in Exodus chapter 33. God told Moses in response to his forgiveness of those people, and yet he was going to visit their iniquity, but this is what he said to Moses. My presence shall go with you. Does everybody hear how God worded that? My presence shall go with you. So, what is going on here? Well, this is a passage recalling the loving kindness of the Lord. What did he do? He saved that nation out of Egypt. Did he not? What else did God do? He made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Did he not? And he took them as his own possession. And he put the spirit of his presence among that nation. And what they did is they rebelled. And they grieved the spirit of his presence. They grieved the spirit of his presence. They grieved the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, how did they rebel, and how did they grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we have help here with that. I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. The book of Numbers, chapter 14. the children of israel is they're now at kadesh barnea and god is has sent the 12 spies into the land and they heard the report of the spies and they had a response to to that report that was transgression before the lord And look at what he says in Numbers 14 and verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these how many times? Ten times and have not listened to my voice. Does everybody see that? Okay, so what's happening here? We're we're not not at the foot of Mount Sinai anymore. We're at Kadesh Barnea. And they rebelled again. They had done this ten times. And they had not listened to his voice. Everybody with me? Okay. What happened in those 10 times? And there's some, if you try to go through and find these 10 times, sometimes you find 10, sometimes you might say maybe there's 11, but God says there's 10 specific times where the children of Israel did this. What was their rebellion? In Numbers 14, verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? Does everybody see that? Look at verse 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me now folks grumbling and complaining deal with speech that is expressive of our hearts is it not Does God hear our speech? He does. And to grumble, to complain, is speech that is against the Lord. Against the Lord. In other words, folks, that corporate entity that we know of as the nation of Israel, they had complaining speech against the Lord, now follow this, due to the circumstances the Lord brought into their lives. Here's an early example. They're trampsing through the wilderness and there is no water. And finally they, they come to water. And you can just imagine a million people all trying to get a drink. They're all thirsty. They come to this water and they drink it and they said, It's better. And they grumbled against the Lord. And Moses goes and he prays and God does what? God fixes the water. Isn't that a gift? And it becomes sweet. And they drank. They were complaining against the providential circumstances that the Lord had brought in their life. Now, Now, folks, let's just be honest with ourselves. Can we not be honest about this? That I can see myself in the same grumbling spirit that they had. No food in the pantry. Grumble. The water main breaks outside my house. No water. Grumble. Can you see yourself there? Mm-hmm. I can see myself there. I'm not any better than they are. I can see myself complaining by saying, you know what? What you want me to do is too hard. There's giants over there and they're mean and fierce and complaining. Now folks, what happened here? The Lord was directly provoked by that nation. Is that right? Who else was provoked? Moses Moses was provoked. The hearer. You know who wasn't provoked? The speakers. In fact, here's, here's the problem, brethren, with grumbling and complaining. They got what they wanted. The water's bitter. They grumbled and complained. The Did they get sweet water? And what happens in a fallen man, a fallen woman, a fallen child's heart is this. They say, you know what? Last time when I didn't get what I wanted, I grumbled and complained and I got it. So guess what I'm going to do next time? Guess. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. but you're grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And folks, here here's the frightening part. The Lord numbered it. One, two, three, four, five, six, ten times. Did the Lord take notice? He did take notice. And folks, this sin is so prevalent among the professing people of God that Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now folks, the fascinating thing about that passage is is that it directly connects their speech with giving place to the devil. they were destroyed by the by the destroyer, or this in Philippians chapter two and verse fourteen, in response to God who is working the to-be-willing and the to-be-doing in our own midst and lives, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. Folks, can our speech bring to us reproach and blame? It can. And 1 Peter mentions something similar when he says, look, if you're going to speak, you do it as one who is speaking the oracles of God. We're to speak truth. Now as we go back to the book of Ephesians, I think that it is entirely appropriate to use that Old Testament illustration like Isaiah is doing. That when he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so it might give grace to those who hear. Paul's very serious about this Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, folks, it is the Lord's loving kindness that He has shown to you in Christ. He has saved you and me from the bondage of sin and death. Has He not? Has He not brought us into covenant in His Son? We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. We're under the new what? The new covenant. And not only that, but we're one. We're union in Christ Jesus. We are members of His body, and He is in us, and we are in Him. We are not to rebel against this loving kindness by the things that are in our heart and come out of our mouth and grieve the Spirit of His presence. His presence is here by the Holy Spirit. Now folks, if we were to remove all grumbling and complaining out of our life, how quiet would this world be? How quiet would you be? You say, but Pastor, if I do that and I'm quiet, what can I talk about? <laughs> do you know what the Bible answer to that is? Giving thanks. That's exactly what he's going to tell us in Ephesians 5, isn't it? There are things that are not to be named among you and no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather the giving of thanks. That'd be a strange church. instead of a church that is centering itself around complaining and grumbling about the politics of our day and the government of our day and the encroachment of our day and what wicked people are doing in our day, that the overwhelming majority of our speech in the church and among ourselves is giving of thanks for what God's loving kindness has done for us in Christ Jesus, the truth as it is in Jesus. that would almost be like heaven, wouldn't it? And folks, we are to start practicing this now because this is the way it will be in the new heaven and new earth. How would you like to pick up a newspaper or look on the internet news site and all you saw are articles and articles of thanksgiving to God? No complaining, no grumbling. Wouldn't that be refreshing? That's where we're headed, that's where we're going. And, folks, we have an opportunity to be sanctified in this area now. We have an opportunity to have a little taste of heaven here, a little foretaste of what it's going to be like. Folks, our new man's speech is gratitude. Our former manner of life was complaint. So I go back to my question. can a church or an individual directly grieve the Holy Spirit? That was one of my three options. What do you think the answer to that is? Yes. Yes. However, in the passage, I think that the grieving of the Spirit of God is, is the Spirit within the hearer. Why would I say that? Because in the Old Testament illustration, they did directly grieve the Spirit of God Himself. But who else got grieved? Moses. Because every time he heard this, he had to fall down on his face before God and plead with God to have mercy and kindness to these grumbling people, didn't he? He's the hearer of what is going on out there. And not only that, but in Ephesians 4, it says this, verse 29, that the aim, the aim of wholesome speech is to give grace not to the speaker, to the hearer. Can the Spirit of God within the speaker be grieved? Yes. And the answer to that is yes, but only a Spirit-filled believer. And folks, you know what that's like, right? You say something and you wish, well, you just want to take your hands and bring all that back. Stuff it back down in there. Okay, dispose of it. Okay, you're walking. The words of Christ are dwelling in you. You didn't respond appropriately and you knew it when you did it. Okay, but folks, when people are really grieving and complaining, they think they're justified in their grieving and complaining, and they don't feel anything about it because they're walking in pride and hardness of heart. They've already justified why they get to say what they say in the manner in which they are saying it because they're right. So there is a sense where it can encompass all three of my options, but I think in Ephesians the emphasis seems to be on the internal response of the hearing believer. And I just want to quickly say there are other things that can grieve the hearer that are entirely biblical. They could be brought under conviction about something that would, that would cause grief through their conscience. So there's other things. Now, folks, I want to bring this down to an invitation. I want us to evaluate our speech in several areas. First of all, how you talk to one another in the church. Are you a complaining person who loves to get other people complaining with you? Complainers never want to complain in isolation. They always want to tell someone about it. Now, I'm talking about a grumbling and complaining spirit. I'm not talking about there's things you have to talk about that aren't good things. There's realities that are out there. But you have to have a right what? A right heart about it and speak about it properly. The second area that I want to bring to our mind is our homes. And parents, I want to start with you first. When was the last time you had to gather your family together and ask them to forgive you for your speech? Some of you could honestly say you've never done that. And that is not good. No parent is perfect. I don't know of any. And you're going to say things that you shouldn't say. You're going to say it in ways that are not edifying and ministering grace to your children. I learned through my parents who were lost the default way of raising children was by raising my voice and yelling at them. And it took many years for me to even begin to understand that there was a way that I was to speak that would be edifying and not destructive in my home. And parents, I want to encourage you, even if you've said to yourself, well, I think I'm doing good in the church, but I want to encourage you that if the Holy Spirit has convicted you about just brought to your mind something, that you ask the Lord to forgive you, But you don't stop there. You go to that individual in your home. You go to that group of people who heard you say this publicly. And you express a broken and contrite spirit before the Lord and ask their forgiveness for this. That is critical in our homes. I want to speak to our children in our homes. Children have the same problem that adults do. Can a child grumble and complain against a circumstance that a parent has brought into their life? Yes or no? Yes. I did when I was young. I was lost. You did when you were young. Your children are no different than you. They have the same flesh. And children, I want to encourage you, especially if you're a believer, to have a walk with your parents that are in love. That just as God in Christ has forgiven you, that you from your heart forgive your parents for their sins against you. Does everybody hear that? That you don't entertain resentment, anger, judgmental spirit, And if you're a child and you've done that, regardless of your age, and the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind something, if it's private and all you've been doing is fussing and grumbling inside, well, the Lord heard it. And go to the Lord only. But if you've expressed it to other people, if you've expressed it to mom and dad, and it's not been with the right spirit, guess what you need to do? You need to go to mom and dad. You need to go to the family with a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. And ask their forgiveness after you've asked the Lord to forgive you. And folks, that would be repairing in our homes. That would be giving a platform for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives. And then thirdly and lastly, folks, we need to really be careful with this with lost people. You know that lost people will quickly jump on something that you do wrong while they will excuse every other lost person in the world who's doing the very same things. <clears throat> years ago when I was working in the secular field <clears throat> in engineering, and I don't remember exactly what I did, but I remember my, my boss, I was in my 20s, I'd probably been saved into three years maybe, And my boss said something to me, and I let him have it. I didn't curse or anything like that, but <clears throat> I didn't. I was not submissive, <laughs> and I just contradicted him. And I walked away and went back to my desk and got to working. And boy, the Holy Spirit just boom. <clears throat> And I immediately asked the Lord to forgive me. And then this thought came to my mind, you need to go to your boss. And you know what my response was? No, not that. (laughs) And thankfully the Holy Spirit would not let me go. The text just kept coming to my mind and coming to my mind. And my boss's name was Randy and <clears throat> I went to him and I said Randy can I talk to you a minute? So we went off in a room. And I just was very honest with him. I just said I was wrong. I sinned against you. And I sinned against the Lord and you know, he's lost me. You know what you know what his response is? Oh no, everybody does this. It's okay. <laughs> you know, because he doesn't want to be convicted. <laughs> Right? This is the way everybody's like this. It's OK. Stop it. <laughs> you know? And I just said, no. I want you to forgive me. It's not that everybody does it. I'm a Christian, and I want you to forgive me. And you know he did. <clears throat> and you know what you know what happened with that? His respect of me and his listening to my testimony of Christ was heightened, and our relationship was cleared. Now that's not why you're doing it. That's a result of ministering grace in a situation. You're giving a platform for the Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts and lives. Now folks, I want us to take this as serious as the Scripture tells us to take this. Not just at this moment, but every day of our life. Train yourself to watch your heart. And watch your speech. Will you fail? Yes. Yes. But the Lord is forgiving. And a congregation is forgiving. And you know what I found with children, especially younger children? They're forgiving. I remember I had to wake up my seven year old child one time because I couldn't live with myself and live with the Lord for something that I had done to him. And I remember I woke him up and he's kind of in a fog. <laughs> he's like, you know, yes, dad. And, you know, um, And I waited for him to kind of clear and awake a little bit. And I just laid it all out. And I asked him to forgive me with tears. And you know what he did? He threw his arms around me with tears and said, I love you, Daddy. Because I had transgressed against that child. And I had given an opportunity, a platform, for the devil to work in that child's life. And folks, we need to take that very, very seriously in our own hearts and lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands.